0: So where did Buddhism start? Who Who is the Buddha? What happened? <coughs> You're pointing to somebody? Who knows? <laughs> huh? India, indeed. The holy land of India, Bharat. Uh, Tibetans still refer to India as the holy land. Uh, the one that we now call Buddha, was born in Lumini Gardens, which today is just inside the Nepali border. It's part of the pilgrimage sites for Buddhists. And he arose, he was born, he taught. He was part of a very important cultural movement that had been going on before his birth and which he really pushed forward in a certain way. What was going on in India at that time Things were a little prosperous right then. And the long, long long-held art of ritual practice, which was very central to many, many of the Indian religions, we call them Hinduism, but there are actually many, many different, very rich traditions within India already at the time of the Buddha, about 500 years before the time of Christ. And what was happening was that There was a great emphasis there had for centuries been a long emphasis, a great emphasis in India of, oh, maybe you needed good weather for your crops. Maybe you needed um, wealth. Maybe you had sickness. So in India, they did what people all over the world have always and continue to do. They prayed. And they prayed in very beautiful, elaborate, performative rituals, which were so complicated, they had to be conducted by people who had trained in those rituals. Ordinary person, they might pray in their own way, but they couldn't do these very special kinds of Performances, really, sometimes going on for days with incantations and incense and flowers. is still done today in India. Very beautiful, very powerful. And these were done to propitiate the deities. Deities of whom there were many in the Hindu tradition who had certain power. So you would ask a particular powerful figure like Agni or Vishnu and say, please, help me. Or actually, you would ask the trained ritualists, the Brahmins, to do those rituals for you. So ritual life was very strong in India. It's still very strong. It's strong in all the Buddhist traditions. But there came to be a movement called the Shramana, or Wanderers Movement. People felt, you know, I don't know about having other people do these rituals. I feel like I want to go out into the jungle, into the forest, and explore my own experience. I think there's some wisdom to be had by paying attention to me. Not me in the ordinary way, but looking deeply into my mind, looking into what's really going on in life. What's it all about? What's meaningful? What is a meaningful life? So these questions were very powerful already in India. And the, you know, maybe the people who today found billion-dollar startups or (laughs) um, become great scholars or doctors or creative geniuses. In other words, the creme de la creme, the very creative, interesting people of that time, that's what they were doing. They were leaving home. They were going to wander so they wouldn't be encumbered by ordinary life, and they could look into their own hearts, minds, the Eye of Universe, you might say, they were doing meditation, they were doing yoga meditation, yoga goes back millennia in India, it didn't just start with Buddhism, sitting like this didn't just start with Buddhism, it was already there in India. So, the young Shakyamuni, as he was called, the sage of the Shakyas, the one that we now call a Buddha, was born as a prince in a a, a clan, the Shakya clan, in central India. And gradually he also became interested in exploring what he could find out, if he really devoted himself to ascetic practices. Now, he was, in this way, following the customs of his country, But he was also a rebel, because traditionally in India, you didn't go out into wandering until you had fulfilled your secular duties, which was to marry, well, to get educated, if you were a man, to get educated, to marry, to have a child. And when you had your first grandson, then you were free, and then you might go out and wander. So Buddha didn't wait that long. His own son had just been born. And he, when he saw a corpse carried through the streets of his town, as is the Indian custom, he had never seen this because his father said, keep him away from all suffering. Otherwise, he might decide to become a yogi practitioner. Uh, we don't want him to do that. We want him to fulfill his role as, as a great king. That's what my son should be, a great king. Do your parents say things like that? You know, you should do something really important. So... Uh, he had never seen a corpse, a dead body. And when he did, it just upended his understanding of life and life's purpose. He was being taken in a, a chariot. Let's say his chauffeur was driving him. His chauffeur was a very wise person. And he said, what, what is this? And he was told, this is death. This comes to everyone. What? Even me? I'm a king's son. I'm going to die too? Which is a kind of echo of how I think most of us feel. Yes, we know about death, but that happens to other people. Do you notice that you feel that way? It's very hard not to feel that way. Intellectually, it's very easy. But emotionally, it's quite difficult, especially when you're young. Especially when you're young. I know, I tried to meditate on impermanence when I wasn't that much older than you. Um, It's hard to get. So, Buddha felt... He concluded that since he was going to die, and he didn't know when, which none of us do, he better get out and practice right away. So that was his first radical move. He left. He left home. His wife and children were well cared for. India you have an extended family, he had servants. But he left. And he practiced for seven years, we we're told. And finally he sat down under the what we now call the Bodhi tree in. Bodhgaya, outside of Gaya, not so far from Patna in India, in the state of Bihar. And he had an experience. He had an awakening. He woke up from the sleep of ordinary, ordinary experience. Humdrum, same old, same old. Now, this awakening is the how we understand the word bud Buddha is a root of the sanskrit word buddha so he is a buddha one who has awakened sometimes it's translated as enlightenment but i like the word awakened because it's experience near you all know what it is to wake up right we wake up every morning so if we just hang here for a moment and reflect what does it mean to wake up in your own experience we have a sense of what it means right it's a shift we were asleep, and now we're waking up. What would you say? How would you describe that shift? What happens? It's not esoteric, right? <laughs> you wake up, or you're maybe in a light sleep, on a train, on a plane, and you wake up. What happens? Something floods in, and something floods in from what is actually around you, right? You said, oh! I'm in a train, or, oh, it's morning, or, oh, you know, I'm in the hospital. You realize, oh, you locate yourself very quickly, right, in time and space, and, yeah, beautiful, things flood in. Oh, I'm here. I'm not in, you know, some, I'm not running through the streets uh, being chased by a bear. I thought that was happening, right? We wake up so there's a kind of clarity. Things can come into us because our mind, instead of being dull, so in sleep, generally, either we're kind of closed off from what is ever going around us, dull, that changes, or we might be very vitally engaged in a dream. (laughs) We marry, we have children, we get rich, we lose a fortune, we end up uh, having to take an exam that we've never studied for, Uh, who hasn't had that dream, (laughs) some version of that dream, right? And then we wake up and go, oh my goodness, that's not true. That didn't happen. So for Buddha, this awakening was much of the same, but of a different order. He woke up, he had a vision, he saw, as he describes it later, beings dying and being born. Dying and being born in accordance with actually actions they themselves had done in the past. So you may have heard about karma. Did you hear about karma in your courses? Karma? What does karma mean? The word? You'll we'll never come back if I keep asking you questions. <laughs> huh? You know what it means? Kind of, yes, it means karma, it means action, it means doing, and it is sometimes. So work is creates karma and it's also the result of karma. Good. So the universe has a certain order but perhaps the most important thing to mention that Buddha noticed is that things are always changing, always changing, and he saw one thing that he woke up from. So we can spend much time discussing what he, what illusions he woke up from. But one was he woke up from the illusion of same, same, steady, steady, or as the Buddhists technically could call it, permanence. He saw that. Things are always changing. And he didn't just know this intellectually. He could feel it. He saw it. He had visions of time going by, things arising and ceasing over and over and over and over again. Our science would totally agree, right? Stars arise, they go away also. The sun will not be here forever. So he woke up from that. And therefore he's called the Buddha, the awakened one. And he awakened to what he felt was a very profound and important reality that he had been asleep to before. And this reality was, one, things were always changing. Two, we didn't like that. We wanted to hold on to things as they are, at least when they're going our way. Or if they're not going our way, we want to change them in the direction that we like. So could distill all of those reactions that we have to our being kind of hopelessly enmeshed with hope or fear. Hope, wanting something to happen in the future. Fear, that something else would happen in the future. It can kind of coalesce all of our distractions, which we notice quite clearly when we seek to meditate. They're mostly about What can I do? What can I do better? I hope this doesn't happen. I'm gonna try to do this. I don't know if it will succeed. Does that sound familiar? It's just normal. So Buddha was really trying to uh, describe a situation that we know very well. It's not only Buddhists for whom things change, right? This is a, a fundamental principle. So, he understood, through the visions and experience that he had, that the way things are is different from the way they seem. Things seem kind of stable, usually. But even, even when we're sitting quietly, you know, you're breathing, your body is changing, everything is changing. You yourself have changed a great deal in the last few years. You look at it, especially you were still in high school, right? You look at a picture of yourself five, six years ago, ten years ago, unrecognizable. Who is that person? But he or she has the same name you have. Well, that's interesting. When you say, I, my name is, generally we have a sense of, you know, me. I'm always me. That doesn't change. When I was three, I did this. When I was six, I did this. Now I'm in high school, I do this. But who's the you? The you that's in high school wasn't there when you were three. And that three-year-old, where are they? It's been a stream. You are a river. We are all rivers, moving, changing, going to the ocean of our vastness. So Buddha understood that things were not what they seem and that we actually suffer a lot because we live in hope and fear in a completely unreal context. So he felt that this would be something to share with others. He wasn't thinking of starting a new religion, It wasn't until later that We started to call what he taught Buddhism. Things are not what they seem. That is an essential principle which we can look at in rich ways. Things are not what they seem. You think you are a you, but where, how, who is that? We won't talk about that too much today. Just introducing a drop that we will expand on another time. So he wanted to share this information. He thought it would be helpful to people. He thought it would be helpful. And the Buddha, we are told, when he was born, walked out of his mother's side, causing her no pain, in the garden of Lumbini and he took seven steps and he said, I am here for the benefit of the world. I am here for the good of the world. In other words, I'm here to help. I'm here to help out any way that I can. And this is a core principle in Buddhist traditions and really I think in all spiritual traditions, to be of service, to offer something to the world, to others, to your family, to strangers. So having come into the world with this intention and now with this Realization, we all need to wake up. That's the second principle. We are asleep. We don't realize that things are different from the way they appear. Like the rear view mirror thing. You know, objects may be closer than they appear. Things may be a lot less real than they appear. That's. And he also realized, he sat under this tree for 49 more days wondering if people would understand what he had to say because he was basically saying that all of your experience is, excuse me, mistaken. And if you want to wake up, it's going to be a big change and a wonderful change. But would anyone want to listen to him? Would anyone understand? And he reflected, and this became a crucial topic later when he began to teach, that everyone has the capacity to understand that things are not what they seem. And everyone has the capacity to become liberated from the false views that imprison us into cages of reactivity, of hope, fear, desire, hatred, ignorance, maybe you've learned those. These are, for Buddhists, the three main things that uh, chain us to same old, same old, and prevent us from waking up. And sometimes they add pride and jealousy. But all of these are equally ways of hoping and fearing. So, but it was only in his early thirties when he had this realization. He lived until eighty, and he spent the rest of his life walking around India. Um, but Nars, uh, Rajgir, uh, Srinagari where he died these now pilgrimage places in India, teaching. And after he died, he said, I've taught you the way your liberation depends on you. In other words, I don't have to hang around anymore. I'm done. I've I've said it all. You just take it seriously. So his students wanted to gather together and recite what he had taught because it wasn't written down. So they wanted to Uh, reflect on what Buddha had said so that it could be remembered. Sacred things in India were memorized, placed in the heart. They weren't written down. That was for uh, priceless of goods, not sacred things. Sacred things you put in your heart and you memorize. So they said, what should we do? We must invite Ananda. Ananda was Buddha's cousin and had been to all the teachings of the Buddha, and so he was the one who had to come to this gathering because he had heard everything. But there was a problem, bless you. In order to uh, gain admittance to this particular meeting, you had to be an Arhat. You had to have overcome uh, the Ari, the enemies of desire, hatred, ag- ignorance. You had to hunt, conquer them. So that's one etymology of Arhat the Sanskrit word, meaning somebody who's liberated, somebody who's free. So Buddha was liberated, he was free, he had woken up, he had broken the prison ranks, and he had written down how to get there. So Ananda needed to be present. But Ananda, he'd been so busy serving the Buddha, he was not an arhat. Big problem. So Ananda, and I tell this story as it was told by uh, Goinkaji, who taught for many years in India and the West, uh, insight meditation, so Ananda goes off. He gives himself two weeks to become an arhat. Okay. That's a lot of pressure, right? You think studying for an exam is bad? The whole future of the tradition depended on him becoming an arhat so he could attend this meeting. So he meditates. He meditates day and night, day and night. It's just not happening. A week goes by. Okay, have got a few more days. Let me, let me see. You can imagine that there is a lot of distraction of hope, I may, I have to, I have to, maybe tomorrow, maybe tonight, maybe at dawn. And fear, maybe it won't work. Maybe I won't be able to go to this meeting. (laughs) Hope and fear, hope and fear. He sits and he sits and he sits and he, it's the night before, it's his last night. Oh my goodness. He sits and he sits and he sits and he's, and finally, he looks into his mind, freshly, without hope or fear. And he says, I'm not in our hut. I'm just not. As soon as he puts his head down on the pillow, he is. He has woken up. His ability to recognize and see the very thing that he was trying to get rid of and escape from and really to deny. We do this too, right? I'm not a procrastinator, <laughs> we say. But when we actually see, oh, but I'm having to pull an all-nighter now because I didn't start my paper, and I'm a procrastinator, and it's causing me pain, oh, then you could change, right? So, Ananda, by being in the moment, paying attention, fueled by his tremendously compassionate urgency to be in our heart, but letting go of all judgment, not projecting anything onto his identity, just, oh, I'm not an arhat. He wakes up. He wakes up into the reality of what he is, which is a liberated being, which, as Buddha extensively discusses and many commentaries since then, is what everybody is, really. So he was finally in touch with his real nature. Not being an arhat was not his real nature either. It was just a description of that moment. Now, so he did go to the meeting and he, uh, this was the beginning of compiling the collection, the first collection of Buddhist teaching known as the Tripitaka. Tripitaka, it's kind of a nice tripping off your tongue word, Tripitaka. means the three baskets or the three collections. And the practice that we do here, which we'll do in a few minutes, we'll have a few minutes pause first, actually, and I'll say this in about five minutes as we begin the next session, distills the very essence of the teachings in those three sections of the three collections, the Tripitaka of uh, attention or concentration, good, kind behavior, and insightful wisdom. All of that. Just in our simple practice, as it was there also for Ananda. If you enjoyed this teaching, please visit our website, donmountain.org, to subscribe to this course and find other great Dharma offerings. May all beings always have happiness and its causes. May all beings always be free of pain and its causes.